Hello and welcome to Mother Mother, a podcast from the mom friends you need right now, because this shit is hard. I'm your host, Emily Ferris, a writer and married mom of two in Kansas City, Missouri. While Mother Mother is technically a parenting podcast, this isn't a podcast about kids. It's a podcast all about the experience of being a mother. You can learn more about this podcast and my guests at MotherMotherPodcast.com and join the conversation anytime in the Mother Mother Podcast Facebook group where the password is tired. My guest today is Heather Haverleski, who writes the Ask Polly advice column. It was formerly on New York Magazine and now it's on Substack. She is the author of many wonderful books, which I've linked to in the show notes, including the forthcoming Foreverland on the Divine Tedium of Marriage. And I just finished this book last night, and I can't wait to talk about some of its big themes in the second half. Uh, But first, Heather, welcome to my little baby brand new podcast for moms. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. It's very nice to meet you, and I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, I've been reading you for a very, very long time, uh, so it's it's very exciting to have you on and talk to you. And uh, I'm just, I'm so thrilled <laughs> you're here and a little bit anxious, but I'm just so looking forward to this conversation. A little bit anxious can be magical. Since this is a podcast about the experience of being a parent, I usually open the episodes by asking my guests what their lockdown was like. And in Foreverland, you talk about that in the in the final chapters. So I don't want you to give away too much of the book because we want people to buy the book, which again, linked in the show notes. What can you tell us about your lockdown? Tell other moms, the listeners, without giving away the end of the book. First of all, I love that you're so spoiler sensitive. I am too. My lockdown was pretty interesting and surprising. I have a stepson who's 25. I have a daughter who's 15 and another daughter who's 12. So my kids are kind of um, running their own lives pretty decently. So I think that that is a big, 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 big difference in terms of your kids are are two years old and... Charlie is almost two. He was born three weeks before lockdown and Teddy just turned six. So I had a newborn... And a preschooler who all of a sudden didn't have a preschool to go to anymore. That sounds ideal. You must have had. I mean, I I would say that, you know, I really want to hear about that experience. How long were they out of? um... Uh, 453 days. Oh, my God. Not that I was counting or anything. But we were home (laughs) for 453 days because I did have a lot of anxiety, we had an option to send them back to, to their daycare, their parents' day out things sooner than we did, which we finally sent them back in the summer of 2021. But my anxiety wouldn't let me, you know, there was, there were no vaccines. Everything was still so unknown and we didn't. I've talked about it some here, probably more than people want to hear, but I, it was a lot. It was exhausting and it was terrifying. I had some postpartum anxiety with my first, and my husband and I made this plan for ways that I would not have postpartum anxiety, like things we could do. And then all of a sudden, I had pandemic anxiety. Oh, my God. So it was a lot. I can imagine that having older kids made it more like you were hanging out and not caretaking as much. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, there was a period of time when my uh, my stepson and his girlfriend and my two kids... And me and my husband were home in our house all the time. Now we lived in LA then, and the house is pretty big. So we actually had ways of being apart from each other while everyone was, you know, my my stepson had a full-time job that he was doing on Zoom. 
his girlfriend had a full-time job she was doing on Zoom. But what was interesting is that my kids, first of all, really enjoyed being in remote schooling for a while because it was, even though it was boring, they could kind of get all their work done by, I don't know, during the day. So that almost by like four o'clock, they were done with their work, which, you know, I don't, once you'll find this out, but when your kids are teenagers, they basically have homework until like 8 p.m. every Ugh. night. And it's just hellish and stupid, right? Yeah. So that part was really nice. The other thing was my son Zeke was really good at hanging out with my two daughters and they were all kind of in the same room at times while they were doing all their different schooling and things. And they really liked that. That is not how I operate. I like to be hidden away on walking on my treadmill desk or in a recliner to one of two things, never sitting at a desk, either, either moving, either exercising or reclining completely almost just, you would think asleep with my head propped up. And I don't like interruptions. I mean, eventually, the thing is, there were some best life aspects of the whole setup, right? I mean, my husband and I got a bunch of cookbooks and learned to cook a bunch of things. We got really into Otolenghi. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Woo! Love him. But then also, there were all these hellish, I had all these hellish kind of unknown health questions going on. I had procedures that were delayed. I had fear. And and like you, I like how you said my anxiety wouldn't let me send my kids back. I mean, there was some point during the pandemic where I felt like I'm going to have to respect my anxiety, even when it's out of sync with what other people are doing and expecting of each other. You know, there are a lot of situations I think we've seen with the pandemic where even when everyone else is saying, well, we're just going to do it this way we're going to all test and then we're going to meet here or we're going to do this inside because we figured the da 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 the risk is lower and da 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 it's like you have to calibrate your own comfort with everything that's happening because the guidelines are so strange and you know they're everybody has their own idea about what's uh you know what's chill and what isn't and and the guidelines are changing so much constantly changing you have to be a scholar of the media in order to stay up with all this stuff. What's funny is at the beginning of the pandemic, I wrote this piece where I was like, everyone's in denial because I'd been paying attention to the situation in China and Italy. And I was walking around telling people like, you better start ordering some masks. And, you know, like, I think it's airborne, you know, and they were like, you're an insane person. You know, I ordered all the masks before the masks (laughs) went, before they all went away, because I I did, I was doing the same thing. I was following it so closely. I ordered masks. I had, I was so ready. You see these videos and pictures of people wearing hazmat suits, right? And you're like, (laughs) you know, you feel like a prepper because you're like, I'm going to be the person who knows what equipment she needs. You know, I found this list online somewhere that was like, buy all these things. And one of the things was like, DuPont hazmat, you know, like paper, you know, and I just remember my neighbor coming over and seeing this box of hazmat suits and just being like, what is your problem? Um, I didn't use my hazmat suits ever. But yeah, it was just a it was just a bewildering time. And I think putting little kids into that, I have a good friend who has kids a a little bit older than yours, but still very young. Um, It's, it's a mental health challenge, to say the least. Indeed, indeed it was and and continues to be. I don't know how I would have done it. I didn't know how I was doing it at the time. It was like, I like this isn't sustainable. It doesn't feel real. Like if you would have asked me if I could do this, I, I would have told you I couldn't. I remember one time crying to my husband and just saying like, if I would have known that I was going to be a full time, stay at home, work from home, mom, 
I would not have had kids. And I love my kids more than anything in the world, but I, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't built for that. I don't know yeah. if any of us were built for what happened. Right. Yeah, I agree. You mentioned that month when your stepson and his girlfriend were also in your home. And you write about this moment in that month toward the end of the book where you were about to lose your shit. And <laughs> you, told, you told your husband, like, I need to talk to you in the other room. And then you said, I need your help. I need your help so I don't lose my shit in front of these kids. And I, I thought, like, God, that's, that's the magic right there because I did lose my shit in front of my kids so many times. And I'm sure, again, like they were younger and I was dealing with postpartum hormones, but I lost my shit in front of my kids and I lost my shit in front of my husband. And sometimes my husband was part of me losing my shit. And I don't know that I could have just like centered myself and asked for help in that way. I was so impressed and in awe of that. And that is, I want to aspire to to be that and do that and to say, to be able to tell my husband, like, I'm about to lose my shit. Please help me not lose my shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think that when you, the situation that I was in was so, actually so extreme. I remember standing in the, uh, in the kitchen, I was standing in the pantry kind of like by the washing machine. And I just had this feeling and I was kind of in charge of dinner and my husband was playing a video game. And I had this feeling like I should start dinner. And I looked around and there were just dishes all over the place. And there was a sound of this video game, like very loud. And everyone was talking, you know, because the family room was right next to the kitchen. Everyone was talking very loudly together and everyone was happy and doing fine. But I just had this feeling like I remember going down on my knees and just like, I can't, I cannot function. Like I just, I was having like a nervous breakdown practically. Like I was just like, I can't do it. I can't make dinner right now. And I was so filled with rage. I was just like, and it was, you know, it was irrational. It was just like, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm, I don't know how to function. I don't know how to do this. I think sometimes when you reach that level, first of all, if you had kids there who were screaming at you at the same time, you'd just start screaming. Yeah. Like my kids weren't tiny. The second thing is, is that I really was, you know, we had, sometimes when you have an outsider, it helps like a witness from the, the outside. And my, my son's girlfriend would kind of served as this like very ebullient and wonderful person to have around. I love her, but she's also, you know, I didn't want to subject her to my bullshit. So that was helpful to not to have her there. And then the other thing is I said, Bill, I need to talk to you right now. And I looked at him and he looked up immediately like, he knew that I was freaking out. It's not like I had a, that my voice was icy. It was like desperate. And even when we started to talk in the bedroom, his reaction was sort of like, ugh. like he began to get defensive almost immediately. And, and I stopped and I was like, no, you don't understand. And I managed to say like, we're gonna, this is gonna get bad if you don't notice that I need you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't want this to explode. I was like, look, I'm trying to save all those people out there from this bullshit that I have. So you have to be a buffer. I remember saying something like that, like, you're my buffer, even though it's annoying and I'm sorry. Yeah. I feel like it's important to express those times when you, you know, it's that overwhelm, overwhelmed feeling in your body that you just don't know how you're going to do it. Yeah. It's like important for women to express that to each other because it's, I just think that it is a kind of a hormonal thing too at times. I mean, I was taking a drug that affected my hormones at the time and that was a piece of it. But it's a very familiar kind of feeling to anyone who is familiar with like severe PMS, which I suffered from for 
decades. I've noticed as I get older, it's getting worse. And I, I'm sure that the, yeah. the stress of <laughs> contemporary life is adding to that right now. Yeah, it's yeah. great. But it does kind of get better. Sort. Does it get better? Yeah. Sort of fair. I'm sort of. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Okay, it's hard to say. Okay. Now you have obviously spent a lot of time uh, giving people advice on how to kind of reframe what's going on in their lives and and look at it and like look at themselves and and handle situations. So it wasn't incredibly surprising to me that you were able to take a beat and say, I'm about to lose my shit. I'm going to ask my partner to help me in this moment so I don't lose my shit in front of my kids. But your kids are, your youngest was, you said 12 or 15? At the time she was 11, I think she was 11. But in those previous 11 years, like you've lost your shit in front of your kids, right? Oh yeah. Okay. There were times, I mean, the hardest times were the time that you're in right now. Yeah. I was the most embarrassingly fucked up when I had a, a baby and a toddler, that was a nightmare. I mean, I to describe to other people what it's like to have a baby and a preschool age kid, actually, it's like just you're underground. You're in a tunnel underground. Yeah. You know, even if you're sitting there looking, even if when you're patient and fine and you're looking at them and you love them, the thing that I think eats at your nerves, you know, especially if you're an anxious person, which I am also, which I didn't really know until I had kids. Oh, my God. I did not think I was anxious at all. And then I had <laughs> yeah. kids and all of a sudden I became a person with anxiety. Yeah. The thing I didn't know was that the little bombs that go off randomly which, that shake your nerves, you know, that rattle your nerves like um, everything's kind of fine. And then you hear this sort of sound like, uh, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and it hits it hits your spine, you know, because everything is great. You're finally relaxed. Everyone's having fun. And you're like, okay, okay, we're in the clear. And then it's like, uh, and you, you know, it's really, really f- so hard not to just say, don't make that sound, you know, stop, turn it off, you know, because, and depending on how your childhood was too. I mean, my childhood was pretty chaotic. Mine too. It was really happy. But it was also really sad and chaotic at the same time and very, very, very unpredictable as well. So those things get triggered, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're you in that state of, of panic easily because these just the sound of crying can put you there. And my husband is the same way. He'll hear crying and, and he'll start to get visibly stressed out. I, I'm similar. My, my childhood was chaotic, not in like the overly happy way. But I also had undiagnosed ADHD, didn't get diagnosed until I was almost 36. And I realized I had some sensory issues with that. So the crying oh, yeah. really triggered my my sensory issues, especially it was like compounded in, in the pandemic. And I, yeah, I would just like kind of lose my shit. And even though I, I feel like I know you don't always give in to every whine, every cry, every, I found myself doing things that I might not do as a parent and giving into things just to make the noise stop. Yeah. It's hard because then you are, have created a situation where you feel like you have to repeat the same kinds of here, take this iPad or, you know, <laughs> you have your methods become suspect. I had a little bit of that with um, my kids with their devices, where we had all these rules around devices before the pandemic. And then 
we're, when we were in the middle of it, I just, Bill and I talked about it and I was like, you know, we're basically, you know, it's amazing we're muddling through. Like this is one of the darkest things I've ever dealt with, let alone dragging your kids along with you through this dark, complete, unknown, strange time. And I was just like, I don't think we can um, police it. I mean, I don't think we even, it, the part of it was that we didn't have the wherewithal to police ourselves. Yeah. Everything was happening virtually. Yeah. And so we were like, we, you know, we became addicted to our own dumb things and, and entered our own strange escapist worlds in order to cope. I mean, I, by escapist worlds, I really just mean, you know, Twitter and uh, Stardew Valley on the Switch, like dumb things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we all had our own little ways of um, escaping. Yeah. And with little kids, my God, I mean, I would be, one thing that was kind of dumb that we would do is like order boba delivered to our house. You know, it's just like so ridiculous, such a waste, so kind of silly, but it was like this thing that, my daughters would get really excited about. Yeah. And there were times when we couldn't go anywhere, you know? Oh, yes. You know, I don't know. What what were your things that you were sort of like, okay, this always works and damn it, I'm going to use it. You know, letting my letting my baby have my phone. He, always, he was so interested in my phone. Like, luckily it had a passcode on it. But I, <laughs> one thing I've managed to do, my six-year-old still doesn't have a tablet or a device. And so we, we kind of have been loosey-goosey with TV, but we don't want them to have tablets and be getting on the internet yet. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't even like him just handling my phone as a, as a toy. But I was just like, just take it, fine. There's a lock on, just take it. And sometimes he would accidentally unlock it and whatever. But I just was like, fine, take it. Or like the TV remote. He want, he always wanted the Roku remote. And so I eventually got, I asked around on my buy nothing group and got a decoy TV remote. So I could just hand him the remote. Just little things like, I know that kids should hear no, and it's good for them to hear no. And they need to get used to hearing no and dealing with, you know, sometimes I can't get what I want, but I was just like, whatever I can hand this child to keep him happy. And even, I guess he was, as, as he got six months, nine months, like creeping toward toddlerhood, I wanted to put him in front of the TV and he wasn't interested yet. And that was really frustrating to me because I was like, I have to take a shit or vacuum the the dog hair off the floor because I've never been able to pick it up and run the RoboVac and I just need to do things. And why won't you just fucking watch Elmo like your brother? Yeah, I just found myself parenting in a way I didn't think that I was going to parent, but it was survival at that time. Yeah. I remember when we got a playpen for my younger daughter when she was about, I think she was like maybe 18 months, some kind of age where she wasn't roaming around, but was sort of could get into things and hurt herself. Probably like nine, 10, 11 months, probably. Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, you're right. Because she was kind of bald. So probably, yeah, she was younger than that. I can see how bad it is. I can't even remember. This was like 10 years ago. Anyway, I remember just thinking, oh, and we also got one of those um, things where you the kid can sit and roll around. (laughs) <laughs> with like a tray. It's like nobody gets these things anymore. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. It was like uh, my mom had it. Like the little walker thing. Yeah, like you're yeah. not supposed to give babies those because Oh, they... yeah, because they'll fall down the stairs. Yeah, but I mean, we lived on one floor, but it was still like, you know, you don't, it's like a crazy thing to do, right? They're your babies in a little go-kart, essentially. Yeah. But um, very old-fashioned, right? Like it's not a modern thing that people do. But my, we had one at the beach because my mom brought it. She had it for years and years from some other kid she used to hang out with. And it wasn't us because it was some, I think it was like the, an 80s thing or something. I don't know. Anyway, it was so nice and it worked so well that it was impossible. You know, just like you find these crazy things 
that work. We had this thing that stayed in one place that we called the castle that just had shit coming off it. And the kids would just like sit there and bat the things, but you could put them in one place, right? Like Mm -hmm. you need things. I don't know, whatever. I'm just sorry. I'm just running down memory lane. No, no. Containment devices, distraction devices. (laughs) Yeah. And I found like when it was a full-time thing, when there was no going to the grandparents' house and no going to daycare, like that, I was just also spending money on like, will this keep his attention for ten minutes? Will this keep his attention for for thirty minutes? And luckily, we're we're kind of getting out of that. And now he's almost two, and he's interacting with his big brother a lot, which is really nice. That's awesome. He's in daycare, uh, school, parents stay out three days a week, which is which is really nice now yeah. too. But the the anxiety is still there. Um, yeah. But it it there just came a point where for his own good, we had to send him to socialize. Yeah. And virtual school wasn't an option for my son who was entering kindergarten and it wasn't really an option for us anymore. But And hopefully we don't go back into lockdowns, knock yeah, on everything. Um, so speaking of anxiety, you've written, and I am paraphrasing, that in order to mentally survive parenthood and parenting, you have to be okay with a lack of certainty. And you kind of have to accept that to manage your own anxiety. And for me, that's not just like, I say, oh, yeah, well, I understand that concept. I can't just like flip a switch and say, okay, I'm okay with uncertainty. I will accept that. Like, what is the first step toward accepting that? Like, how do I, how do I start to get there? I want to say it starts in the moment. And it's not even an intellectual exercise so much as an exercise in grounding yourself and calming yourself down. I hate to say that because anyone alive can tell you to meditate and I'd never really been that good at meditating. Me neither. Not not a big surprise probably for each of us. But I do think that the more times a day you ground yourself and take in your physical experience, including whatever anxiety is rattling around, but also you know, the air is cold. I'm noticing the light is just so, I mean, it, it's like accepting and welcoming everything that's coming toward your senses. I mean, I think that there's a way that being a being an anxious parent with small children, it's almost like you have walls up all the time, which is paradoxical because you're also supposed to be soaking in the glory of your darling little babies. Mm -hmm. But so much of your um, survival sort of depends on being able to put up a curtain inside your mind and just think your own thoughts sometimes. Like you can't just sit there talking to a kid and not thinking your own thoughts. Unfortunately, eventually you train yourself to have conversations with kids while you think your own thoughts, which is terrible. Because then they become teenagers and they can tell that you're doing this. And plus, you don't want to do this. You know, that's not what you want for yourself. But, you know, when kids are little, it's there's really no shame to that. It's absolutely just a normal thing that you do to get through the day. So the paradoxical thing that you have to do is let in more instead of less Hmm. and stay calm while you're doing it, right? Bring things in and say, I'm welcoming how chaotic and bad this is. I, I think of it sort of as a similar thing to when you're, visiting your parents or your family. And in the old days when I used to visit my family, everything was kind of bugged me. It was like, what are you trying to do? What kind of, you know, stop characterizing me like that. Like I went through a phase of like, everyone had something kind of 
passive aggressive to say to me. They wanted to characterize my personality in some way. I was always doing things wrong. I was very competitive about board games, and all I wanted to do was play board games. And everyone eventually, everyone was like, "You're too competitive," among many other things. I mean, it was just like criticism was coming at me at all times. And then I finally started to notice that I needed to just frame my experience with my family like they're just going to serve me big platters of shit, and I have to eat them. You know, like <laughs> we're not here to debate this. Like you can't sit down with your family and say, "You know what you do to me that's not cool." There just aren't that many families that can withstand that kind of jolt to the system of like, I'm going to directly tell you what you did wrong and what you need to do moving forward. I mean, obviously, just very few people want to have that kind of conversation. But once I framed it as I'm here to eat shit, especially because my mom was getting older and I was like, I need to stop confronting my mom and just let her be a person and accept her for who she is. But once I changed, once I shifted it was funny. It was like, I would, I would, we, we all go to the beach together every year and I'd go down to the bedroom after hanging out with my family. And I'd recount to Bill how my family, the different platters of shit I was given to eat that day. And we both mm -hmm. laugh, you know, I didn't even, I wouldn't even feel angry when it happened. It was just like, Hey, look at me doing my job. I'm eating shit. I mean, it sounds kind of abusive, but it's actually just, that was an important reframing for me in order to stop there was a way that trying to get my family to talk about things they didn't want to talk about was not really kind to them either, you know? So with kids, it's a similar kind of thing where you're like, everything's about to go nuts. And, you know, you can hear them revving up like, you, you know, one hits the other one and they're arguing over something that's hard to resolve, you know, and then your husband comes in and is like, nah, stop it now, yeah, you know, and you're just like, how do I stop? this cascading series of events from occurring. And, and the mistake is in thinking, it's my job to change this reality, right? The only way to move through it is to say, this is what happens. This is the clown show of being in a family and it's normal. And this is how it sounds. Because I think your shame will tell you, my family sounds this way because I fucked something up. Yeah. I'm the mother and we shouldn't sound this way. We're one of those bad brute families who are just shitty and, you know, yell too much and we're messy and we can't get it right. We're a bad family, right? You feel responsible for that. But when you realize that all families are these tornadoes behind closed doors, then you can say, I'm going to enjoy this tornado. Like, look at these crazy animals in my house. Like, just... It's going to be okay. And then, on a, and then on a mundane level, it's more like you do the same kind of activity, but you soak in, ah, my windows are so dirty. Look at all these dust bunnies everywhere. Isn't that funny? That's, that is what, what I did. And the other thing about anxiety in kids is I made a rule early on that I was not allowed to imagine worst case scenarios. Oh, that's like my, my thing. Oh, no, 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 no. See, you can take the necessary precautions to avoid worst case scenarios, right? Like if someone says, okay, I'll see you later, I'm immediately like running out to the living room to make sure there are no little kids running out to say goodbye and getting run over by the car as it backs out of the driveway, for example. But how do you do that with it without imagining your kid running out into the driveway and getting run over by a car? It is a little bit anxious, right? But that's different than your kid goes to preschool and you spend all day imagining the preschool burning down or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. 
I try not to think about extreme bad things that could happen. That's all. And which I used to always do. I used to sit around thinking of like the craziest, scariest things that could happen to me. And now I'm just not even permitted to go near those thoughts, right? Yeah. I guess I'm lucky because I don't really have the time to do that when my kids aren't <laughs> around. I am getting shit done. I'm working yeah. on the podcast. I'm working on my book. I'm working at my full-time job. I'm trying to clean up the dust bunnies and the dirty windows and the dog hair. So I, I guess I'm lucky in that. And maybe maybe that's part of my own like personal survival method. And maybe that's why I do so much and keep so busy. So I'm not constantly thinking about those worst case scenarios. Are you more uh, ambitious and efficient now than you ever have been? Um, yes. I would s- more efficient, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been pretty ambitious for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at some point, realized, like, I think I tied up a lot of my self-worth in my resume. Yeah. I let that go for a while. And then, obviously, in the first year of the pandemic with a newborn, I was just like, I can't. I didn't write anything for a year. I was so lucky that I had other work, like design and video skills that I could fall back on because I couldn't string together sentences or paragraphs. Yeah. Um, but then coming, not that we're out of the pandemic, but kind of coming out of that, I was like, didn't really do much. And now I'm like, boom, new full-time writing job. Oh, I'm writing a book. Oh, I'm launching a podcast. So it's oh like, I feel like I didn't. I was kind of stunted in that area and it it wasn't fulfilling to me to just like be, I love my kids. I love my family. It wasn't fulfilling to me to just like be a parent and kind of eke out an income for survival. And so I, I definitely am, am more efficient because I'm like, I only have this window of time to get this done. Yeah. And then I sometimes still stay up until three in the morning to do Whoa. it. Um, I know it's bad. It's bad. Night owl. That's just, <laughs> I'm a morning extreme morning person Mm -hmm. now but I think that happened after kids I don't know I just I like the way you talk about like snatching the time you need I I feel like there just is a certain kind of a woman who becomes more focused after kids in a way and almost like becomes more aggressive in pursuing her own agenda in the face of the a threat to that agenda yes which as a maybe a little bit more too bellicose a way to put that that situation mm-hmm. um, that's obviously mild and and normal and and common, but um, I had the same reaction. Yeah, I mean, I have to give a little credit where credit is due to uh, pharmaceuticals and chemistry because after my first son was born is when I figured out and got a diagnosis for ADHD and went on meds. So some of my focus obviously is due to that, but the oh, yeah, yeah. the efficiency and the yeah, just like making shit happen now for myself because I I need that. I have to do it. I have to write. Like now that I, I think of so I have to write it. Mm-hmm. I want to create something and I have to create it. That's great. You're a big proponent of exercise for mental and physical health. And on the podcast uh, about a month ago, I, I had my GP on and I said, okay, so for tired moms who don't have a lot of time, what's more important, sleep or exercise? And she was like, as long as you're getting a base level of six hours of sleep. And I was like, sometimes exercise is more important. And I was like, oh, fine, shit, fine, I have to exercise. I have such a hard time getting started with it. What can I do? How can I tell myself? How can I train my brain to do this? Because I know that it will be good for me. I know, like I understand the mental health benefits of exercise. But like if I were if I were writing Ask Polly right now, I said, I just can't, I can't start exercising. What do I do? What's wrong with me? What would you tell me? I think it's a matter of building one habit just shoving it force, forcibly into your day, a small 
concrete moment of exertion. Or you can buy a treadmill desk and then you'll just <laughs> you'll just be exerting yourself in an extremely low-key way while you do other things, which I do strongly recommend. Okay. My entire relationship to exercise changed dramatically after I got a treadmill desk. I can write while I'm walking, which is helpful beyond compare. And the one thing I did when I bought the desk was I said, once I figured out that I could do it without getting too motion sick, it takes some adjustment. I get motion sick really easily. But once I bought the desk, once it was assembled, I was like, I'm going to use this thing first thing in the morning. Like I'm never going to use it in the afternoon. I'll never use it if I think I'm going to use it sometime in the afternoon. I have to get up. If I'm going to write, I'm going to go to that desk first. I'm not going to sit in a chair and write. I'm going to go to the desk and start typing. And so I would do that and I would do it like, you know, an hour. And then eventually it was just like, it wasn't anything I thought about. And also like two hours into writing, I still had energy. I wasn't like dozing off. Right. So it was just like, it just became kind of like, I started straight out of the gate with this rule. The other thing that I do is P90X3, which is like a 30 minute, very kind of like, uh, it, it kind of dates me. It's like, a um, well, I used to do Taibo. Do you know what Taibo oh, is? I remember Taibo. Taibo was like these DVDs that you watched and you like punch and kick the air. I mean, I had it on VHS, but okay. Oh, okay, okay. So, you know, it's like a, it's like kickboxing kind of yeah. stuff, but kind of cheesy. Gentle. Cheesy. Yeah, gentle kickboxing. Kick. It's almost like Zumba level. Like it's pretty chill. Yeah. But, you know, if you do the extreme ones, it's more. So P90X3 is like uh, more like push-ups and sit-ups. It's very difficult actually when you start. Like- if you don't do that kind of exercise, there are times when you're just, you're basically just going through the motions, like doing push-ups on your knees. That's the only way I can do a push-up. That's how I was before I did P90X3. There's no way to put into words how good it feels just to do your one stupid thing. But once you start doing it, it's just, you pick a thing, you do it every other day or every day, and you do it for a very short period of time. And it has to be something that you can either listen to music while you're doing it, listen to a podcast while you're doing it, distract yourself with something else so you're not thinking about what it is. Or the P90X3 thing is very difficult, but it's something that it changes your relationship to your body and how you move. Like when I had little kids, I just expected myself to like go running which I, of course, never wanted to do. I bought a jogging stroller and never once used it. Yeah, I have. I, we had a double jogging stroller. I mean, I used it for, you know, I probably used it 15 times with just me. Rare. It was rare. It was like double. But it's sort of like, is there anything else in your life that you're just like, I'm going to start doing this? Something has to give. I'm just going to do this thing. And I'm not going to think about it. And I'm not going to question. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to get into this space of rebellious child space of like, Am I going to exercise today or not? I don't feel like it. What I feel like is making pumpkin bread. You know, like, yeah. you can't set up exercises like the enemy of fun. That's part of the issue, right? It feels like the enemy of fun. And then sometimes it feels like the enemy of work because I'm like, well, I have all this work I have to get done. Treadmill desk. I know. And also, I think you mentioned earlier about it gives you energy. And I think it would actually, in some ways, help me get more work done because I would be able to focus better. Yes. My writing improved so much after I got a treadmill desk because you're cheered up by the fact that you're walking. Yeah. And I love walking. It's great. What you should do is go to one of the places that has one so you can try it out a little bit and then see if you can 
imagine. The thing is, for an overachiever, it's like the ultimate toy because you're like, I am walking and writing at the same time. Like you, you've never felt so proud of yourself. Yeah. Okay. See, now that might be that might be exactly what I need right there. The the overachievement, the proud of myself. If I if it's like a, a challenge. I've never been big on like physical challenges for myself, but if I can mm-hmm. give myself that, if I, can I write while I'm, will it, will it make my book better? Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's what I needed to hear. Exactly. You tie it into other things and it becomes just part of the way you live. Right. And it's also kind of like, like it kind of helps to aim for something beyond what most people do. Like you can't, it's hard to get it up for like, oh yeah, I guess I'll go on a walk every day. Cause that's what people say I'm supposed to do. It's like, fuck that. I don't want to do what other people do. But if you think like, I'm going to do this thing where I can do work and exercise at the same time. It's going to be awesome. Like you can't even talk about it to other people because you feel so smug about it. Once you start doing it, you're like, Mm -hmm. I got five things done at once. Um, It's the best. I love this. You know, I just had you on the podcast so you could just solve all of my personal problems (laughs) for me. That's the only reason you're here. We'll talk about your book later, but that's why you're here. No. Well, we are going to take a break and come back and talk about the book. Uh, But before we go, I have a question for you. Okay. What are you wearing? Oh, I'm wearing, ooh, so glad you asked. I'm wearing some jeans and AG jeans, and I'm wearing some... uh, I don't know if it's Sorel boots because I twisted my ankle and so I have to lace them up really tight Oh, um, so that I can walk. Isn't that sexy? And I'm wearing a sweatshirt, a hoodie sweatshirt that says Los Angeles on it. Nice. And my hair is, ooh, I've got some gray roots that I sprayed with some brown spray so it matches the rest of my head. I look amazing right now. I'm just glow up city USA right now. I think you look great and comfortable. You look great. Thank you. Are you going to tell everybody what you're wearing? Oh, you know what? You know, usually no one asks. But but since you asked, I'll tell you. I am wearing this like fuzzy, fleecy on the outside Target sweatshirt that I love. So I bought three of it. So it's kind of my uniform this winter. Sounds soft. It's so soft. I love it and comfy. Um, Some high-waisted demi-cut Madewell jeans. Mm. Um, I'm wearing sparkly socks because that that I decided that's going to be like my my joy thing this year. Like every day, I just got rid of all my other socks and I wear sparkly socks. Um, And then these like slip-on clog Sherpa fuzzy shoe things that are cozy. And I kind of gave up on shoes that... I have to lace up at some point. I'm just like over it. Yeah. So I like a slip on shoe. Nice. Yeah. All right. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm hungry. I'm dirty. I'm losing my mind. All right. We are back with Heather Haverleski, who has been called uh, the internet's big sister, which I love. You're giving me all the, the big sisterly advice. Do you not like it? You, you winced a little bit. It's just ironic because... Uh... I'm a little sister. I was the youngest of my family. So yeah, I like it. Sounds bossy. <laughs> You're very wise. You have, I feel like you've, you've been giving millennial women, women my age, I feel like you've been kind of guiding us through the stages of our lives. Like I was reading your columns when I was dating and I got a lot of really good advice from that. And then when I was first married and having kids and you are, you are the internet's big sister. You're my honorary big sister, whether you know it or like it or not. That's awesome. Well, I feel like I did a good job with you. Oh, thank you. You seem to have turned out rather well. I want to take credit for all the all everything I'm everything I'm hearing. I think I want to take credit for all that. I will give you all of the credit. 
You get it. You get it. You really, I mean, you really have. I have a note here that I say. I said, I feel like someday when women rule the world, all of your writings will be collected and it will kind of like become the new Bible. Oh, sweet. That's horrifying and terrifying to hear. <laughs> you know what? Your advice is way better than the shit that's in the Bible. <laughs> oh, God. I'm putting that on my bio, man. That's, I got to write that down. Way better than the Bible. Way better than the Bible. I mean, don't you think the world would be a better place if people listened to you and not like Joel Osteen? Mm, yeah. I mean, if that's the, if that's who I'm being compared to, Pro- possibly. I mean, I, you know, sometimes I think that, I don't know, I think too much. So sometimes I think like, you know, the kinds of guidance, I, my guidance has changed over the years. I've become a different person. I think that I used to be much more aggressively into fighting, you know, confronting people. And I'm much more kind of passive, passive and I'm more of a pacifist, I should say, not passive. I'm not very passive at all. I get that. Like I, I, we've grown with you. Like I think we've, we've all come of age under your guidance. You actually write in the book about how you, when you were younger, you kind of thrived on sparring with smart men or arrogant men. And that was kind of your thing. And I definitely have done that. And sometimes after a few too many drinks, we'll still do that. Um, But I do, I feel like I've, like motherhood in some ways has calmed me in that regard. Not that I won't get into a, get into it in the comments section with a racist every now and then, but I do, I feel like we have grown with you and taken this advice. And, you know, back when I was dating and you were writing more aggressive advice, I needed it back then. Yeah. And now that I'm a married mom in a fucking pandemic, I needed this book that I just read. Oh, I'm so glad. It's so good. So let's talk about Foreverland. Um, Subtitle is On the Divine Tedium of Marriage. And when I first got it, I kind of thought it was going to be a takedown of marriage. (laughs) Have you gotten that response yet? No. I I mean, now, that's that's good. That's good that you thought that because my worry was that it would come across as... I wanted there to be positivity and negativity all wrapped up in how it seemed in the world sort of before you read it. Because I definitely for sure did not want to give the impression that I set out to write this book about the bliss of marriage, you know? And even, I mean, I guess the subtitle kind of like makes that clear. And I had the subtitle before I had even the title. I knew that I wanted to talk about tedium for sure and the gifts of um, acceptance but even as I started out to write the book, I don't know, I, my, my feelings about what I should be writing shifted as I wrote. I sat down to try to write the beginning of the book, which was falling in love. And I was like, oh, falling in love. Who wants to hear about this? <laughs> but the way you described it was so relatable. I mean, in the in the first chapter, I was like highlighting passages and I was taking pictures. And then I got to the point where I was like, if I highlight everything and take a picture of everything, it defeats the purpose. <laughs> But it was all so relatable. Another book just sitting next to the book yes. with all your notes. The scrapbook. On. The scrapbooking version. It but it, it's it's so relatable. The the insecurity, the uh the love, the just all of all of the different feelings that happen in those early stages. I think people are unprepared for a lot of people are unprepared for the hurricane of emotions that marriage uh introduces to your life. Even if you don't believe this, even if you have like a wise view of what a marriage might be, you start down the path and it's similar to what we said about tornado, the tornado inside your home. You feel like it's your happily ever after. It's supposed to be peaceful and calm. And inside, you know, it's sort of like, I think the wedding is like a wonderful 
little microcosm of what a marriage is in many ways, because you have all these grandiose visions of what a fucking princess you're going to be. And you show up that day, you know, it's incredibly difficult not to fail yourself on your wedding day. Now, I'm not saying that people don't have amazing weddings and feel like glorious and so in love and and so great. Obviously, a lot of people have that experience. My experience was uh oh, I'm going to fail at this. Like, why did I? Why did I create this pageant? You know, this performance. Yes. You know, why did I invite everyone to witness me being bad at being center stage? Like, it just felt so embarrassing to be at the center of everything. Actually, I thought it would feel wonderful. You know, I mean, I'm a show off. Same, but I was like, why is everyone looking at me? Yeah, I don't. It was just like I can't quite do this. I feel weird. And it wasn't, it wasn't about Bill, my husband. It wasn't about love. I mean, I felt thrilled to be marrying him. Actually, it was, you know, you just have all these expectations that you're going to rise above who you actually are. I think that's the, I think that's the problem with marriage and also with kids and also with just living with someone for decades. It's, it's sort of like you have to let go of this fixation you have that the culture has fed you your entire life that you would become someone better than the person you've always been. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's true for career experiences. That's true for parenting experiences, being married relationship. I mean, everything under the sun, you always feel like you're supposed to be, you know, it's, it's specific to women as well. It's like, you're supposed to be all of these impossible fucking things all wrapped up into one. And it's, yeah. it's not possible. And I even feel like there are times or have been times in my marriage where I was a worse version of myself than I even knew was possible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Getting over the disappointment of being a human being is just such a big part of becoming an adult, actually. Like yeah. you stay immature when you're in denial about when you're in denial about the facts of who you are, right? Yeah. That's what makes you immature, ironically. It's like when you can't accept that you're sort of a recalcitrant, spoiled, anxious, sullen brat, you know, which we all are. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to not sometimes be that person unless you're walking around, you know, repeating Bible verses every 5 minutes, which I mean, God bless, I don't I don't necessarily think that's the worst path. I think the longer that I've been doing this, the more I'm sort of like, you know what? Everybody has their ways of getting through. Yep. Yep. But but I just know that for me, the path of total honesty about what a like untamable monster I am is is like how I, you know, that's how I survive. And I think for me, marriage forced me to see that in myself and recognize it and accept it because when I was single and lived alone, it was easy for me to just like not deal with those parts of my brain Mm -hmm. and myself and just like work and go out to drinks and be a fun person and to like compartmentalize the parts of my life that were working for me and just kind of like ignore the parts of my brain that, that weren't as pleasant. And when you are married to someone, especially in a pandemic with small kids around, sometimes that bitch has to come out. And then you have to accept her into your life and figure out how to live with her. Yeah, it's hard. I remember having such a hangover from fights when I was younger, like just feeling so ashamed 
that Bill and I would ever argue about anything when we agreed about so many things. It just seemed so impossible that we could. And the things that we argued about, I think this is clear in the book, were almost always trivia. You know, it was almost always something so small. Mm -hmm. Because we had kind of agreed about the big things. It was like he'd go to the store and I'd say, get the smaller ricotta cheese because I don't want all that. I don't need to make a lasagna that's mostly ricotta. It's gross. And he'd come back with a big one and I'd be like, I said on the list, it says, right. And I'm not saying I'm screaming. I'm just like, it's that detail oriented thing that men often, not to just gender essentialize, but a lot of men kind of had trouble following specific instructions. Yeah. I don't know. I get it. I, That's I my know. my experience. I know. I have found that the, the worst is when my husband and I will get into a fight about something, even though we are agreeing but one of us <laughs> said something wrong or fa- or phrased it incorrectly or pushed a button and we're all of a sudden arguing, even though we are arguing for the same result. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. It just, is. Just nuts. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like you, you gain strength from those moments when you're willing to put your pride aside and say, I'm just going to. I mean, any time in, <laughs> in a fight where I could say, I'm just going to take a little minute and say to you, Bill, this is super dumb. And <laughs> no offense, I know I can see you're real, real charged up. I am too. But what we're doing is stupid. And I'm just going to say, you know what? I love you. You know, like mm-hmm. you can make it almost a joke. And suddenly it diffuses the whole thing. I do try to diffuse with humor. Maybe then that would be a good time to come out and get on my treadmill that I'm going to order like go. as soon as we get off of this recording. Obviously, like it's better to be arguing uh, when your values are the same. I I have seen a lot of posts, especially in like Facebook mom groups from women who uh, throughout lockdown kind of realized that their husbands didn't share their values. And they were um, like, weren't taking the same COVID precautions, or they weren't being kind to their children uh, during lockdown, or, you know, saying that BLM activists were terrorists, or drinking the Trump Kool-Aid. And in those moments, and sometimes in my head and in the comments, I'd be like, leave his ass, like he is a horrible person, like, leave. But I think what lockdown did was kind of separate those couples out. So they're they're the couples who like lockdown forced you to see like this person is a monster or is just not the right person for me. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of us, it might have made our marriages harder or more difficult or more challenging for a time, but also like, okay, this person is someone I can do. I can do hard things with this person. Yeah. So for those of us who aren't on the, oh my God, I married a monster side, but we are in the like, I love my partner but we were locked in a house together for two years with two small kids. Do you have any advice other than reading your book um, for kind of getting, I don't even want to say getting back to a certain place, but like moving forward together in a better way? Well, as someone who was writing a book about my marriage during the pandemic and therefore like uncovering, like looking under rocks for, you know, bugs and and ghouls and demons for no reason, just creative reasons. And as someone who, I mean, I hit a place in the pandemic where I was just living in my head and not really connecting with my husband that well. I have to say that part of it is, 
is separating what your own challenges are and what your own truest desires for your life are from your partner's challenges and their desires and understanding that the problem is, is when your kids are little, it's extremely difficult to say, oh, you love painting, honey? Well, you need to take some at least four hours a day and paint because that's what will make you happy and I want to see you happy. Because the four hours they spend painting are four hours that you're going to spend with two little kids. Pissed off. <laughs> it's like you're not, it's not, po- it's not possible, right? Yeah. But I did realize somewhere, somewhere in the middle of, I mean, I'm going to say like late 2020, I realized that I was telling this story that my husband was sort of like distant from me and that he would never really understand what it was like to be a true artist and a writer with a big imagination. It was almost like, you know, you're in trouble when you're sort of like, I want my man to just dive into the madness of my mind with me. And, you know, when we spend time together, it should feel like music, you know, Mm -hmm. like we should be, I wanted some kind of romance back in my life that, that I wasn't willing to put into words. And I just remember sitting down with him and saying, you're not really showing up. You know, you don't really go to these, like I'm writing music. I'm crying while I write music every day. I'm like doing all these creative projects and you're just sitting there like, Oh, that's nice, honey. Like you're kind of like this strange robot, man. And he was like, how am I not showing up? I'm sitting here listening to you probably have said like 5,000 words on the subject so far. in this one sitting, I listen to everything you say. I read everything you write. Like how could I, how could you possibly accuse me of not showing up? I was like, I just don't think you're here emotionally. And he was like, are you sure you're not talking about yourself, honey? And I was like, Ooh, uh-uh, oh, sick burn, Bill. Shit. <laughs> he got me. And then oh. I, you know, and it was just funny. Like we started laughing and I was like, oh my God. Like having a partner who can just, having a spouse who can call you on your shit is so important and so yes. nice, especially with a sense of humor, right? So I would just say that if you know someone if you're, if you really feel like you know your spouse and you trust them and you're spending all this time together and it's just the stress that's freaking you out and making you butt heads, um, we just moved and we just butted heads so much just because we were like, oh, no, we got to do this, too. We got to do this, too. I mean, all of our conversations were just like, no, you get that and I'll do this. You get I'm going to get no, you get that and I'll do this. Yeah. Um, you have to separate that out and say we're doing this together. It's working. You know, it's almost like you need times where you sit. I actually said this to my husband yesterday. We don't usually talk in the morning because I'm usually writing, but he came in and sat in my office and we started talking about, we, sometimes we have these conversations that are just like, we're just patting ourselves and each other on the back at how well we're doing, you know? And it's like simple (laughs) things like you got groceries. That was heads up. Hey, you already walked the dogs. That's great. I'm glad you went on a run with them. That's awesome. Wow, you vacuumed? Amazing. It looks so good in here. What we do is even worse because we're like, you know, we sometimes get into this like, you know what really works? It's that, you know, we both have the same kind of insecurities, but we're both just like so accepting of it, you know, just like accepting of each other's blah, 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 like a psychological profile blowing smoke up each other's asses. I mean, just, it sounds, it it sounds kind of dumb, but it feels good to see each other at the good part of your day, which is kind of rare. Like yeah. you both had some caffeine. You're staring at each other. Maybe you both even showered. Incredible. Like, Whoa. And I know 
let's not go too far here. Let's not get too crazy. But that optimistic kind of, you have to have optimistic conversations because when you're just putting out fires, a lot of your conversations just become like, you're moving from one catastrophe to the next and you have conversations that are like, I don't know, I don't know. I just have to do this right now. Yeah. And thanking your spouse for thankless work probably does go a long way in making the interactions the rest of the day a little bit better. Particularly when they're doing something that you really hate doing and they're starting to do that thing and you're doing a thing that they hate doing. Like there are times, I do all the money stuff and there are times when I'm like, God, it is so nice for you that you don't have to do any of these things. And Bill will say, oh God, yeah, it's so good. Like he he just gets a free pass Mm -hmm. and he does all the dishes at night, which at night, I mean, I just, I cannot function. I hate doing dishes at night. And I'm always like, oh, thanks for cleaning up, baby. See, and I can't cook a meal. My husband cooks all of our meals because oh, I can't. That's awesome. I, like I have too much going on in my head and I can't think ahead enough to, to play. Like, do we have the ingredients? Do I have to go to the store? Like I can't, my brain can't do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm so lucky that he does that. And I try to give him lots of positive reinforcement about that because obviously I need him to keep feeding us. Yeah. <laughs> but I am also very grateful that he does it because then we would, otherwise I would be ordering takeout every night. When your spouse does something that you like, you have to remember to tell them that you really like it. That is great advice. It's kind of, it's like pretty fucking simple, but that's how you connect with someone. You tell them that you see them and you appreciate them. Mm -hmm. My husband is naturally really good at doing that, I have to say, but I'm, I'm a little bit more in my own head and less connected. So I have to remind myself to say, look what you did. That's so great. Even if you're in a period of stress and you're kind of like bickering a little more than normal, I don't know. It's like that that sort of feeds the good the good vibes and keeps you on the right track together, you know, keeps you feeling more connected. Another thing that you wrote uh, toward the end of the book, and I don't think this hopefully doesn't give away too much, um, you wrote, the main focus of your lives shouldn't be preventing each other from wandering off. We should enjoy each other, enjoy our kids, make sure everyone is happy, and also please ourselves separately. It shouldn't be impossible to do all of those things at once. But it, it does feel impossible when you have small kids, yeah. especially in a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I would say that the pleasing yourself ends up falling by the wayside, unfortunately, a lot. And that's just, you know, I didn't really have a concept of pleasing myself that made a lot of sense when I had little kids. I've said this to my friend who has little kids over and over again. It's hard because the world talks so much about what you really want, what your truest desires are, and what you, what you, how you want to move through the world and what do you want from your life? And it's just so hard to look at that stuff when your kids are under five. Like, And although I do think that you're talking about an age, like you probably just entered a phase where that can become possible because you've got two kids that are talking to each other. Like Mm -hmm. once they start occupying each other and having fun together, it's sort of a whole new ball game. Like you're kind of slightly out, you're out of a certain kind of woods. It's not like there aren't more woods ahead. You can at least be in the other room with your spouse. Yes, exactly. And just like listening for any catastrophes. Right. Yeah. Or in the same room, but they're babbling to each other and you're having yes. a real conversation. Yes. That's actually partially how I even was, I, have, I haven't read a book in a really long time. And that's how I was able to read your book. I was able to like sit in the corner of the playroom and read the book while the kids played. Oh and it was gosh. so nice. But was, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that like two months earlier. I feel like lowering your expectations of everything is almost the only way to... I don't want to say that because it sounds like you're kind of on track as it is. Like you're you're on top of your game. I mean, yeah. you're you're 
Can I say that I can see you? Yeah. Or is that not? No, you, you can. Yeah. Okay. You're wearing red lipstick. You look great. Oh, thank you. Red lipstick has always, it's been my thing since I was a teenager where mm. I, it's like, no matter what, I will put on my red lipstick. Shit. I want to do that. I feel, I have a lot of lipsticks and I love lipstick. Maybe I just need to make that my, like, I get up in the morning and I put on my lipstick. Brush your teeth first or it will get all over your toothbrush. Oh yeah. I wouldn't. Don't worry. I'm not that bad. Oh, I am. <laughs> and there were days in lockdown where I, there was no lipstick and I was like, oh my God, it's four o'clock and I haven't brushed my teeth yet. So if there was one thing you could go back and do to please yourself when you had small kids, what would it be? I kind of did please myself a lot. I would feel like I was what other people would consider kind of a selfish mother. Oh, I totally am. So yeah, I mean, I, I did a lot of kind of sneaking in the things that I wanted to do. Like I had a candy crush phase that was just out of control. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make sense to me now because it sounds terrible. Like candy crush, what was that? But um you know, I could kind of surface level take care of myself and give myself what I wanted. I just didn't have, I didn't know how to have really big dreams. You know what I mean? Within the context of kids. It almost felt selfish to think about the big, big things I wanted in the face of these little faces, kind of, which is bullshit. I, you know, I used to see writing as like this means to an end, like this is my career and I just need to make things that people like. Making that turn towards, I'm going to make things that I like, and I'm going to let myself be the guide of what those things should be. And I'm not going to let other people tell me what they should be. I'm not going to take a poll. I'm just going to follow my own instincts and trust them. There's a point, I think, in your 40s where you start trusting your instincts. And I've seen it in friends, too. And the, one, the friends that I have who, have who who made that turn are really much happier than the friends I have who have been doubting themselves repeatedly. So I guess, I guess that's kind of my answer, like start to train yourself to trust your own instincts, you know, because there's so much about parenting that makes you question your instincts. There are so many times when you just feel like, oh, no, I'm bad at this. It's just easy to feel that way. Yeah. Like you can't be as good as you want to be at being a mother. I just don't think it's, I mean, there may be people who spend a ton of time just focusing on being a mother and maybe they feel like they are as good as they want to be. But I can't relate to that because I don't want to, I don't want to spend all my time focusing on being the best mother possible. I have a lot of other things I want to do. Same. I like, I don't, I think I'm a good enough mom. Yeah. And I don't think before I had kids, I would have said that was okay. Like I, yeah, yeah, well, I want to be yeah. a great mom. But I think for me, it's almost survival. Like I have to be writing, I have to be creating, I have to be doing things. And sometimes I, I wish I were a better mom. But my kids, you know, they have everything they need. They get a lot of my time and attention, and they have a great father and wonderful grandparents. And I think I'm a good enough mom. And I, I kind of had to accept that. Yeah, but it's also a very recent thing that people started to expect themselves to be a kind of Martha Stewart craft making super fucking natural human being. And that's what it took to be a good mom. I mean, yeah. in the olden days, it was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't smoke and, and breathe the smoke into my kid's face. So yeah. I'm a pretty goddamn good mom. I'm not fucking the next door neighbor. <laughs> exactly. I remind myself sometimes like my kids know that I just love them so deeply. And I yeah. didn't without getting into anything that I, we don't need to get into here. Like, I didn't feel that from my mom. Oh. And so I think I'm 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 very ahead of at least that game. And like my kids know I love them deeply and that I always will and it's unconditional. Yeah. And so it, for me that's like the most important thing as a mom. And they know that. And I like I said, I'm a good enough mom. Well, that's that's a big 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 central 
It's, I feel the same way. And it's like, that's at the center of everything. If you're always in touch with your love for them and your acceptance of whatever they become, whatever they want to be, you know, and you're always like, oh, I'm seeing something new and you're not fighting it because you have an idea of what they should be. Instead, you're like, I'm riding this train that's being driven by this unique individual that doesn't have to mimic my values, actually, that can make up their own mind about what they want to be. I think just staying in that place, and granted, I'm talking about more of a teen thing, but staying inside that spot of like making space for a real person to show up. Yes. Yes. And I don't feel like I had that as as a teenager, as a child. Yeah. Yeah. I very much want to give that to my sons. Well, speaking of being a good enough mom and doing things to please ourselves. You know, I said earlier that I I just brought you here to uh, be my own personal advice column, just solve all my problems. So one thing that has been the most challenging for me is like leaving my children. Like I, for a while, was talking about going to do a writer's residency for a couple of weeks. I want to, you know, just take a trip by myself when it's safe, like go back to New York. I lived in New York for a decade. I know it would be so good for me to like go away for a while. And it's so hard for me to tell my to give myself permission to like leave my kids for a little while. And I know some of that is anxiety, some of it is society. Can you, Heather Haverleski, Polly, give me permission to like leave my kids for a few days, maybe even a week? Well, I mean, what I would say is, yeah, you have permission to do that, but I would also say that you should start with a long weekend if you can. Because if you plan something longer than that, you're going to start freaking out potentially, right? So you need like a little test run. I never left my kids ever, ever. And it I mean, I'm not saying that as like, yay, you're so amazing. Like, I just didn't, I I think I was too anxious to do it. And then um, a friend of mine got married. So I flew to New Orleans for like three days. And I actually went with Bill and we left the kids with my brother. And it was, you know, they were used to being with my brother. It was not a big deal. But I kind of wanted to cancel the trip for weeks. It just made me anxious to think about it. And (laughs) we called, I was so so worried about the kids. And then we got on the plane and Bill said to me, once we get on the plane, you're not going to be worrying anymore. Trust me. You're just going to be like, yeah, I'm on a plane without my kids. And sure enough, I was like, God damn, we're on a plane. We're on a plane alone without our kids. This is amazing. I hope it doesn't crash, but this is amazing. (laughs) That's exactly what I would think. (laughs) And then, uh, and then we called um, about a day into the trip and we asked to talk to my younger daughter, Ivy. And she came on the phone and I was like, oh God, I hope she's doing okay. I hope she's doing okay. And I said, how's everything going, baby? Are you doing okay? And she just said, I want to live with them. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. she was having such a goddamn good time that she wanted to move in with my brother and never see us again and just live with my brother for the rest of her life which is just so perfect. Yeah, you can't be sad about that when you're on vacation. Kids enjoy it when you go. That's the thing. And even if you leave your kids with your husband, yes, they'll have times when they're like, where's mommy? God damn it, I want mommy. But a lot of the times they're like, this is new. Daddy's talking to us in a kind of new way. And we're doing kind of new fun things that daddy does. And they're a little bit hesitant. They're, they're like happy that you're back, but they're kind of like, we had our own experience just like you did, you know? It's good for them. And so once you do that for three days, you'll be ready to do a week, two weeks. And I don't, I mean, I think the longest I've gone away is like a week on book tour, but I kind of endorse going, I don't know. I feel like people go to artist colonies and stuff like that. And it just feels like, why wouldn't you want to do that? Because you're going to come back and be so 
vibrant and alive and you're going to remember who you are. And I mean, and you'd be excited to see the kids. I mean, my God. And also kids love fucking having two parents who are happy and passionate about what they do. Like that's part of being a good parent is being passionate about, I mean, I don't want to put that whammy on people if they're not passionate about things. It's fine. It's hard to, it's hard to be passionate, but if you're passionate about something and your kids see that it's fantastic for them. Yeah. They know that it's possible to find happiness in something as weird as whatever you found it in. Well, thank you for that permission. Cause I feel like now we're going to, when this is over, I'm going to go order myself a treadmill desk and book three <laughs> nights in a cabin or a hotel somewhere. Awesome. Right away. Spend all the money. Do you ever wish that you had your own Polly to ask, or do you have someone who you go to for advice? In terms of advice, I don't really ask people for advice. I mean, that makes me sound like an arrogant monster, but... But you kind of know everything. Remember, you're writing the next Bible. I mean, knowing is not... does is really doesn't do shit for you, I got to say. It's mostly just... I mean, it's great to be Jesus Christ, and I appreciate you noticing that you are meeting the Lord and speaking to the Lord at this time. Amen. Um, and I, your your faith will be paid off eventually, dear... Praise dear be. Dear daughter. Under her eye. <laughs> Oh my God. But you can know what to do. Like, I feel like I know the right answer a lot, right? For myself and for others, or just like a kind of right answer. Like, because it's not like do this, not that. It's more like put yourself in this kind of space and then things will start to loosen up and you'll be able to move again and you'll understand who you are and what you should do next. But feeling good right, about your choices and feeling good about where you are in your life and knowing that just having faith that you're kind of in the right place, right, that's encouraging yourself to be as you as you can possibly be also without, you know, obviously making a mess and stepping on toes a lot of the time. Some toes need to be stepped on, obviously, as well. It's almost like, I guess I don't ask for advice because it's all about managing your ride. You know what I mean? It's like, I am one of the most moody people I've ever met in my life. Same. Um, Not you, me. I am the most moody. (laughs) I'm one of those moody people I have ever met in my life. I wouldn't say that my moods are extreme necessarily. Like, I'm not that depressed. And I'm not like grandiose to the point of delusion or anything like that. But I am just a really happy person who has just crazily bad days where I'm just like, oh no, this again. Why am I thinking, you know, it's just like everything's going great. And I kind of start saying, God, I just feel like everything's going to go great forever. And then I have a day where I'm like, oh, I'm just allergic to everything, everything. I can't handle anything. I don't want what's coming at me, you know? Mm -hmm. And It really is just a matter of so much of the time. It's a matter of forgiving yourself for just having that makeup, just being an animal that cannot rise above it. Sometimes it doesn't mean you're biting people's heads off. It just means you're forgiving yourself for being inconsistent. You know, I mean, if there's one thing I can't be, it's consistently the same person every day. I have different ideas my values shift. I like different things. I mean, I'm, I'm in some ways I'm incredibly boring and in other ways I'm really a different per I experience 
each day as a kind of bewildering experience because I'm like, what, who's this? I'm supposed to do this stuff with, you know, part of the problem with even signing on to do podcasts is that sometimes uh, a smart, thoughtful person shows up who's enthusiastic. And other times I'm just like, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do this. I can't remember how to do, I'm not in the mood to do this. I can't, you know, like usually the, the enthusiastic person shows up at some point and then I'm like, oh, okay, she's back. Thank God. I don't know. I like talking. It usually goes well. Same. I work myself up with anxiety that I'm like, I don't want to do this. Why did I agree to do this? What? Yeah. Oh, I can't believe I have to do <laughs> this now. But then I get into it. I'm like, okay, okay. I got like, the, I'm back. I, there's the reason I keep doing these things. I actually really like them. I like connecting yeah. with people. I mean, it's just like what you said. You made choices that you, where you're like, your life is structured in, I don't know. I think you're at a, a beautiful crossroads in your life. You seem like you're just vibrant and happy and thriving and hitting it's almost like the fallow period of the pandemic is paying off for you. Thank you. Would you say that? Yeah, I think I think it is. I'm so happy to hear you say that. You are you are like womankind's lord and savior, and <laughs> if you think I'm doing well, then I'm that makes me so happy. Well, you look young and vibrant and I look like uh hell warmed over right now. I'm just I mean, like... it's the ring light. It's a ring light. Come on. Ring light. <laughs> but thank what, you. What's Oh, you have a ring light? I need all your tips. I don't know why I'm I don't know why I'm Jesus. Maybe you're Jesus. Maybe I'm secretly just a disciple, and that's no. What I'm like to learn from this. I can be like on camera aesthetic Jesus, but you are like our deepest selves, Jesus. <laughs> okay. Well, we- we'll share. See, and that's it in a in a matriarchy. It's a it's it takes a village. That's right. That's right. We all have our own tasks. Yes. And we work together to make the world a better place. <laughs> My tasks are that I have the deepest self tasks and you're like a aesthetic Jesus. I make it all look good. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Heather, is there anything else that you want to say about marriage before we go? Well, I mean, my personal approach to marriage is that it's really fucking hard and you have to be honest with your partner at all times. I mean, that's not, this is not groundbreaking. What I found that works for me is even when I'm really upset, the more honest I can be in depicting how it feels to be where I am and also the more generous I can be in imagining that it feels equally bad on the other side of whatever rough thing we're facing, the more we can put our words to what we're sort of muddling through the more connected we feel and and part of that I think I brought that up because it takes acknowledging how fucking hard it is to have those kinds of conversations amen and so I think that there's an there's an assumption in our culture that you are not supposed to talk to outside people about how hard it can be to live with your fucking spouse and that if you're talking to your spouse about how hard it can be, you're complaining and you should only do that in couples therapy or on your way to divorce. According to the internet, you sh- definitely shouldn't write about it for the New York Times. Apparently that is shaming your husband in the public square. You might as well have humiliated him in front of half the globe, which, you know, I, it's, yeah, I don't, I'm a writer. I mean, if he didn't know uh that he was married to a writer and what that entailed then 
I don't know, we, we might not be together. He's, yeah. he's into the fact that I'm a writer. My husband and I talk about that a lot and I have to say, okay, now I'm going to write about this thing. And I'm self-deprecating enough in my writing that I am, it's not like I'm making him out to be, to be the bad guy ever. I'm like, you know, he's usually the, the hero of the story anyway. In, <laughs> yeah. in real life and on the page, he is yes, usually same. the hero of my story. So. Same here. Same here. All right. Well, your story, Foreverland, on the divine tedium of marriage, is available for pre-order now. So it comes out February 8th. Is that correct? Yeah, February 8th. But anyone can pre-order it now or pre-order the audiobook. And I will drop the links in the show notes and on the website at mothermotherpodcast.com. Um, this book is is so great. It's so much more than I was expecting it to be. And I feel better about life after reading it. Oh, man. I'm so glad to hear that. That's great. Heather, it has been so wonderful talking to you. It is um, my one of my writer dreams come true. So I, I am so grateful that you came on the show. And I don't want this conversation to end, but it's already gone like an hour over what I thought it would be. But that's the best part of talking to someone you really enjoy chatting with. So, Yeah, I had so much fun. It was so nice talking to you. I feel like we need to do this every week. I'm in. All right. Let's do it. Thank you <laughs> so, so, so much. This is just been great. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on Mother Mother and I appreciate everything you've ever written. Oh, thanks, Emily. It was really, really so fun talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, I didn't end up ordering a treadmill desk, but I did order an adjustable height desk and a little stepper thing to use with it. And I'll link that in the show notes too. I haven't started using them yet, but I will. I promise. Also, are Heather and I BFFs now? Because I think maybe we are. Anyway, if you want to continue this conversation, come on over to the Mother Mother Podcast Facebook group where the password is tired. And you can always find more information about the show and my guests at mothermotherpodcast.com where you can also leave me a voicemail. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Mother Mother. If you're loving the show, please, please, please tell your mom friends either on social media or in real life. And please also rate and review Mother Mother on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening if they allow reviews. The more that we can get people to listen, the more time I can spend creating great episodes for you. Speaking of episodes, I'll be back next week with a new one and a new guest. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Our theme song, Mother Mother by Tracy Bonham, is performed by the amazing Jocelyn McKenzie with Harry Bowles. Bye. Mother, mother, can you hear me? Sure, I'm sober. Sure, I'm sane. Life is perfect. Never better. Still your daughter. Still the same. If I tell you what you want to hear.